Hey, welcome to Church Experience and welcome to our final week of our Mind Games teaching series. We're so glad that you joined us today. If it's your first time with us, we would love to connect with you. The best way for us to do that is if you fill out the response card at the bottom of the weekly you were handed when you walked in today, tear it off, drop it in the offering bucket when it passes later on in a service. Another great way to connect with us is through our website, churchexperience.tv connect. Leave your questions, your comments, your prayer requests. We'd love to get back to you. We'd love to be praying for you and we would love to connect with you. Now, I know you've heard us talk about Kid Experience, but have you really heard about Kid Experience? Lives are being changed weekly in such an impactful way. Your kids are learning about God's word, singing fun worship songs, gaining friendships with other people who are ready to grow in their relationship with God. And trust me when I say this, they are never lacking fun. Now, I have absolutely loved this Mind Games teaching series. And when you think of Mind Games, you might think of this, or if you have an Apple phone, you think of this. Samsung phone, you might think of this. If you use Twitter, you might think of this. Microsoft, Google, Facebook. No matter your device or your social media of choice, it is so important for you to stay connected with your friends and your family. We try to make our website, Facebook, and Instagram easy to access and full of updates and info for you. Make sure you check it out next time you are ready to connect with new friends and your CE family. Well, that's it from me, and it's about that time, so let's grab our pens and our weeklies and dive into our final week of Mind Games. Before I spoke a word singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you have been so so kind to me Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Still your love far from me You have been so, so good to me and I felt no worth You paid it all for me You have been so, so kind to me Overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found Leaves and I I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it Still you give yourself away And you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, 
Lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Sing that again. So shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. So wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. for your love that sets us free thank you for your reckless love you you come after us God even when we were running from you you came for us and we can't even comprehend the love that's like that was thank you so much that you came running to us thank you for your love Fill our hearts with your love, Lord. Fill our minds and set us free. Thank you so much for the freedom you give to us. Lord, we just worship you and we, we give you praise, not just in our songs, but Lord, we just want to praise you with our lives. Now speak to us the remainder of this service. In your name, Jesus, amen. Welcome to the fourth and final week of our Mind Games teaching series. If you've been with us every week, then you're probably starting to experience some of that renewing of your mind that we've been talking about. But even if this is your first week with us, I believe that God has something extra special to say to us today. And I'm so glad you're joining us because I believe that God is going to do something powerful to help each of us win the mind games in our life, whatever they might be. Well, young children first experience someone juggling in many different ways. For some kids, it's a clown at a circus. For other kids, it's a street performer at the beach. And for many kids, it might be an aunt or an uncle at a family reunion. But if you watch the eyes of these young children when they first see someone juggling, their very first time, you you just look in their eyes, and and their eyes are glistening with excitement, and they're they're mesmerized, and, and, and they're not saying it, but they're thinking it in their mind. One day, I want to learn how to juggle. That is really cool. <laughs> and I, I don't know when it was that I first saw someone juggling. I, I can't remember when it was, but, but at some point along the journey, I decided I'm going to learn how to juggle. So when I was a young man, I went out and I got a set of juggling balls and I, I placed them in my dresser drawer. And every day when I would get dressed, I would practice just for a few minutes. But after practicing for a few minutes, day after day after day, I eventually got to the point where I could juggle. 
I would not claim by any stretch of the imagination to have mastered juggling. And I only do it every once in a great while. But I think I can still do it just a little bit. I did it. Come on, give it up right there. I lasted like three seconds, right? But, but I did it. I'm, I'm happy. I made it. And juggling is, is not the easiest thing to master, but you can do it. With a little bit of practice, you can do it. And when I'm on my game, I can, I can last a minute. But there's another activity that I have watched people do that has equally mesmerized me, but this one I have not been able to figure out. And that is this little guy right here, the Rubik's Cube. Now, when I watch someone take a Rubik's Cube that's all mixed up, and they can systematically and methodically figure it out and put it back together how it should be with all the same colors on the same side, I'm amazed. And then I try to figure it out, and I just cannot figure it out. It's, it's amazing to me. Well, Recently, one of my children decided they were going to figure out the Rubik's Cube. And so they put a lot of time into it. They did some practice, and they've got it. Check this out. Hey, I'm here with my son, Jalen, who has mastered the Rubik's Cube. And I'm proud of you, Jalen, because that's something that I have not done. And I'm going to go ahead and test your abilities. And we're going to mix this up pretty good. I'm going to make sure it's nice and mixed up. Okay, I think I did a good job of messing you up. So let's see if you can put it back together, man. He's making progress. You can tell he's really focused right now. <laughs> Everybody's watching, man. Don't mess up the pressure. Woo! That is awesome. So I, I heard uh, Mr. Rubik's that created this, uh, I heard that it took him about a month the first time to solve it, and it would take me about six months. So I'm really <laughs> impressed that you did it in a few minutes. That was really, really good. So Jalen, what, what's your secret to solving the Rubik's Cube? Well, I learned some algorithms. Okay, so can you share one of those algorithms with us? Yes, one of the algorithms is you go up, left, down, right, up, left, down, right. And if you do that a few times, then... That is really cool, man. So you learned some algorithms and you put those together and that's what allowed you to solve it. That's really good, man. Well, I know you practice a lot at it. Well done, very well done. How does it feel to know that you have solved the Rubik's Cube? Well. I think it feels pretty great. <laughs> well done, man. Well done. <laughs> well, that was really impressive. I, I genuinely enjoyed watching that. Now, those of you who are at our in-person services at every location, you have a mini Rubik's Cube in your hand. And as you're trying to figure that out, and those of you who are following online, my apologies that you don't have this with you, but you can imagine. Those of you who are holding it in your hand right now, some of you have figured out that algorithm and you know how to solve the Rubik's Cube, and you can do that pretty quickly. But for the vast majority of us, as we hold a Rubik's Cube in our hand, for us, if we were told that we had to figure it out by the end of this service, or face a consequence, it would stress us out, because we don't know the algorithm. We don't know how to do it. So it would create all kinds of mental stress in our life. You know, life can be very much like a Rubik's Cube. Until you learn how to play the game, until you learn the algorithm, so to speak, there's so many things that are, are more complex and stressful and overwhelming than they really need to be. So what is an algorithm? You've heard that word a few times now. An algorithm, here's the definition, it's a process or a set of rules that's followed in calculations or in problem solving. A step-by-step -step plan, an, an algorithm, these things that go together, these different pieces go together, and in the end, you get a result. What if there was an algorithm 
for our minds? What if our minds had an algorithm or maybe a series of algorithms, if we could figure them out, a step-by-step process, a handful of things that we really needed to know. And once we knew them, then all the mind games that we always play and feel like we constantly lose at, they would become not only possible to win, but they might even become fun. What if there was an algorithm that you just hadn't learned yet? Well, today through God's word, we're going to learn four things. We're going to learn four things. Like, like Jalen's algorithm had four turns to it. We're going to look at God's word for four things that we can bring into our lives, four things we can apply to our lives here and now today to help us win our mind games. So your life algorithm. Let's go. The first one is found in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Talking about Jesus, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So what God's word is telling us here is, is, is very simple but very important. It says that there's origins to our life. Everything is from God. And it not only speaks to the origins, but it speaks to the ends. Everything is headed somewhere. Everything is for God. So everything is from God and everything is for God is what it's telling us here in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is at the center. And it's telling us that, that God has created divine purpose within everything that exists. There, it exists for a reason. We exist for a reason. Life exists for a reason. There is, here's the first part of your algorithm. Here's the word. Write it down. Purpose. There is purpose. It's from somewhere on purpose. It's from the Lord. It's, it's, it's headed somewhere. It's headed to him. It's, it's for him. It's for his glory. Life has purpose. Until you know that you have purpose in your life, you will always feel like you're losing your mind games. You always will. You, you need purpose in your mind. You need to know that you have purpose. Last week, we talked about the gospel. And so clearly we talked about in, in no uncertain terms that without Jesus and without his grace, no matter how good you can make your life and how calm you can make it, how beautiful you can make it, it's, it's only a temporary peace. There's no lasting peace and there's no deeper peace than the peace that's found in Jesus Christ alone. And when you put your faith in the one who gave his life on a cross for your sins, then and only then can you find mental peace that's lasting. So we built a foundation last week, and if you missed that, you need to go back and you need to listen to that message. And I said that today, this week, we would get into some really practical things to build on that foundation of the good news of Christ. And so your purpose is is wrapped in, surrounded by, built on the good news of Jesus, but it does not end there. God has a higher purpose for you than just being saved than just coming into a relationship with him. His purpose for you is far greater than just becoming a Christian, being converted, being baptized. These are very important steps for you to take spiritually. It's the beginning of this incredible journey that we're on, but it's, it's not the only part of the journey. John chapter 15, verse 15 says, Jesus in his own words, I, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. He says it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. He, he, he wants us to, to spend our lives being productive for the things that matter to him and that will matter in all of eternity. To live for a purpose. It was Jensen Franklin, a great Christian author and preacher, who said, when everything is said and done, God is not going to say to you, well said, well thought, well planned. One thing he's going to use as a measuring stick. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. What did you do? 
What was accomplished with your life? More importantly, what was your purpose? What purpose did you live for? Now, the ultimate purpose is to live for God. But inside of that great purpose that drives all the other purposes of our life, you have to break it down and say, well, God, what purpose have you created me for? What is it that you want me to do for you? I'm ultimately living for you. You're my singular purpose. But what have you called me to do? For me, it's, it's to be a husband, to be a dad, to be a pastor. There's a, there's a handful of roles in my life. It's my, my purpose, my life's work, the things that God's entrusted to me to manage, to care for, to do with my time here on earth. Now, people get creative. I, I've had five life dreams since I was 19 years old, and I've tweaked the wording of those a little bit, but pretty much my entire adult life, I've been laser-focused on these five dreams. If I could just get these things right. First and foremost, my, my dream to, to experience the presence of God each and every day and to be in a loving relationship with Him. But, but my, my purpose surrounding my family and the ministry that God's entrusted to me, these, these different dreams that God's put in my heart. That's my purpose. And sometimes people have fun with these kinds of things and they might say, well, well, here's my purpose and I'm gonna put every one of my purposes with the same letter. And you might hear someone say, my purpose is, is to have my faith and then my family and my friends, my, my function or my work, my fitness, my finances, my fun. <laughs> it's all, all the F words. These, these, are, these are my purpose in life. Or, or they'll get mathematical with it and there's like these seven things or these three things. But however you break it down, God has given you a purpose. And so I want to ask you a question with each step of this algorithm. This first part is purpose. And so the question for you to ask, to win the, the mind games, for you to be clear on what God wants you to accomplish in your life is what is my purpose? What is my purpose? R write it down. Now, now you may not be able to, to figure out what your actual purpose is now, but write the question down and spend some time with it this week. What is my purpose? Maybe you want to get creative with it. Maybe you want to keep it simple and short, but, but you need to know. You need to wake up in the morning and know what is the purpose that God has put me here on earth to accomplish. Now, probably the best-selling hardback book in human history outside of the Bible itself is the book written by author Rick Warren. And, and Rick, in this book, he talks about the purpose that God's created us for in this, this well-known uh, book. He, he begins in this opening chapter on purpose and he writes these words. It's so powerful. He says, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, even your happiness. It's far greater than your family. It's greater than your career. It's even greater than your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose, and you were born for his purpose. Rick goes on and he says the search for purpose has puzzled people for thousands of years. And maybe it's puzzled you as you hear this message today. Yeah, I've always wondered what is my purpose on earth. So listen to what he says. He says, the reason why it's so puzzling is because we typically have the wrong starting point ourselves. In trying to figure out our purpose, he says, we, we ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams for my future? And he says, focusing on ourselves will never reveal life's purpose. And the reason is because it begins and ends with our creator. As we just read in Colossians, God's word tells us that, that all things are from God. Our origins are in him. He's our creator. He made us. And our ends are in God as well. We will end up before his throne. We will be accountable to him for how we lived our purpose here on earth. And then we will be with him if we've accepted Jesus into our life as our Lord and Savior. We will be with him for all of eternity. So our beginning and our end is founded in the Lord. He, he's our origin and he's our end. He's everything to us. He is our purpose, so we must start with him. But it's not just what you do when you think of purpose. It's, it's a lot of ways how you do it, why you do it. I had an opportunity earlier this year to take my children out for breakfast and give my, 
my wife a little time to herself, get some extra rest. And I, I took the four kids out for breakfast. And, and the waitress that was serving us, you could tell from the get-go that she was not happy that she had to be at work that day. And you know, get used to reading people over time, and you could just tell. It wasn't that hard to discern, honestly, but, but her deep sighs, you know, here and there, was just everything that she had to do. Just, she just didn't feel like doing it. You could tell by how quickly she would put the food on the table and sprint away before anyone could ask for a refill. You know, she just, she could just tell that she, she wasn't into what she was doing. She didn't want to do what she was doing. The, the thing that topped it off and, and put a smile on my face, we, uh, me, my kids and I were able to laugh about it a little bit, is I had in the center of the table, I had my, my wallet and then my cell phone kind of stacked on top of my wallet. And she brought this little tray of jellies for some biscuits. And she just quickly set this, <laughs> this plate of jellies on the table, but she set it on top of my phone that was on top of my wallet. So first of all, I don't think you would ever do that. Typically, if you're a waiter or waitress, those of you guys who have served, you know this is, you set it on the table. You don't put it on top of someone's stuff. And it bothered me. It's just like interesting, like, okay. And then she bailed really quickly. And, and as she's walking away, the, the plate of jellies just falls off. It topples off as my wallet and phone fall over. And, and this stuff just spills all over the table. But she's, she's gone with the wind. She's, she's literally nowhere to be found. You know, sometimes you can just, just tell if someone's not living on purpose. It's a have to. It's not a get to. But your purpose is not defined by what you actually do. It's a part of what you do. It's good to define your roles. This, this is what I do. I, I serve people. I, I serve or I, I'm a spouse. I'm a parent. I'm a teacher. I'm a leader. Whatever it is that's the role in your life, it's good to define that. But, but what you do does not define ultimately your purpose. A lot of your purpose comes with how you do it and why you do it and who you're doing it for. And once you discover your purpose so much in life, no matter what you're doing, if you're cleaning toilets and you have a terrible role in life that you're just like, I, I don't want to be here, or, or you're a student in school and you can't wait to graduate and, and get out into the, the workforce and, and accomplish your dreams, or, or you, you want to be married and you're still single, and, and, and that's going to be the thing. See, once you discover your purpose is for God, it's from Him, it's in Him, and He is your purpose, and He has a purpose for you. Once you discover that, you can even do something that's not ideal, something you don't want to do, something that, that, in other words, might not be a purpose you would choose. You can still find purpose in it because you find purpose in God, and God is always with you. So, so what's your purpose? What's your purpose? It transforms the have-tos in our life into get-tos. So purpose is the first turn of this algorithm, and you have to have all the series of events in the algorithm for the algorithm to work. So let's move on to the second one. The second part of this algorithm is found in Ephesians chapter 4, the algorithm of our life. Ephesians chapter 4, I, I love this passage. It says, you were taught with your regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I love this. It's all about transformation in Christ. It's not just information, it's, it's transformation. It's, it's saying there was the life before Jesus that was not healthy, it was corrupt in the deceitfulness of our minds, all, all these things that were unhealthy. And then you found Jesus and, and God transformed your life and then you found that he wants you to be fully healthy in every area, righteous, holy. He wants your mind to be renewed. He, wa he wants you to be ho holy and healthy in your life. That's what he wants. And so the second part of this al algorithm is, is health. He wants us to have health. Pastor, I'm going to write it down, but are, are you telling me I need to get in shape? Well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you need to get some fitness in your life. But, but whenever we hear the word health, we tend to think of physical fitness when actually health transcends just our physical health. We want to be healthy in our, in our mind, in our, in our body, in our spirit, in our attitude. We want to be healthy in our perspective. We want to be healthy in our relationships. We want to be healthy. And if you want to have victory over the mind games in your life, yes, you have to have a purpose. You have to know why you exist. You've got to figure that out or you'll never have peace. But you also have to be healthy. 
Because you can know your purpose and not be healthy. Maybe that's where you are. You know your purpose and you know you're not walking in it. You're not living healthy. You're engaged in some activities you shouldn't be doing. There's some sin in your life. There's some unhealthy things in a relationship that should not be. There's things you have tolerated and what you tolerate is what you live with. I mean, you've allowed us some things in your life to grow that are unhealthy and and maybe today is the day that your mind starts to be renewed because you decide, you decide that I'm going to get healthy with God's help. I'm going to get healthy. See, you got, you got to have health in your life. Now, some people play mind games with this by giving us what seems like conflicting information. For example, one of the mind games that people sometimes try to figure out is, is you'll hear some people say, it's all about balance. You need to live a balanced life. And all those different areas, my faith and my finances and my fitness and my fun and my friends and my family. I, I got to balance all these different things and I need to do them just right and have the right balance and making sure they're all working just right. And you feel like you're, you're constantly trying to keep all the scales perfectly balanced. And it's a really difficult way to live life because... Something always feels out of balance and so you can always feel like a failure in your mind. And some people live with defeat because they think, well, I'm just not good enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not, a, I'm not where I should be in this area or that area. And they just constantly feel like they're not doing enough. Because how do you know if you're doing a little more over here or a little more over there and there's different seasons in our life? So how, how do you know? And it can be a losing mind game. But then there's people on the other side of that conversation who will say things like, hey, forget balance. It's not about balance. I've heard a number of authors say it's not about balance for me. I'm, I, I just choose to be remarkable at one or two things. I, I just try to be great at something. I, I go all out at this part of my life. And as good as that is and it solves the problem of balance for us and it's a proving imbalance, I'm just going to be amazing at this and I'll be so amazing at these things that these other things won't matter. And although there is some wisdom in, in both of these perspectives, this also is a losing mind game in many ways because we always kind of wonder if I'm good enough. Because whatever I choose to be great at or remarkable at, it seems like there's always somebody else who's further down the road. It seems like there's always somebody else that's more remarkable, better, more experienced, has been more successful. Whatever it is that you're trying to focus your life on and build your life around, even if you become great at it, it seems like there's an endless greater that's driven by a greed inside that leaves you with lack of peace. And once again, you lose the mind game. So how are we supposed to win mind games like this when we're trying to figure out with all the conflicting advice out there? Well, we, we go to God's word and we say, God, how do you want me to live? What should my focus be? How do I win this mind game? And what I see throughout the whole of scripture is a focus not on being the greatest or even having a perfectly balanced life in every area, like as if we could be perfect on our own. What I see in scripture is a focus on pleasing God, living a holy life, a righteous life, living a healthy life. God, I, I want to give you my best in every area that you've entrusted to me. I want to be the best dad that I can be. I want to be the best husband that I can be, the best pastor that I can be. I want to be the best worker that I can be, and, and I want to be the best friend that I can be. See, you have these different areas of your life, and the reality is, is that whatever God's entrusted to you, whether or not you ever become the greatest at it or you can perfectly balance it with everything else, what you can always focus on in every area is becoming healthier and focus on pleasing God. Well, there's so many areas of our health that affect the other areas. And when you're trying to win mind games, it's important to pull back and analyze the whole of your life. And that's why it's helpful to start, to start with purpose and Measure out the different roles in your life and responsibilities and maybe even categorize them so you know what your focus is. And then as you assess the health, you can go category by category, role by role in your life. And you can say, how am I doing with family? How am I doing with my fitness or my finances, my work? How, how, how am I doing in these different areas of my life? You can, you can ask that question. And perhaps some of you this week, you may feel the need to do that and say, am I healthy in this area? And that's, that's really the question. I want to give you a question with every one of these words. And the question is, am I healthy? Because if one of those areas is off, let's just use your fitness, for example. If your fitness is off and, and you're not exercising, you're not eating right, 
you're not getting enough sleep, you might come into a worship service like this. And, and you come in to worship the Lord, but, but you haven't got enough sleep. You haven't been taking care of your body. So you didn't, quite, you didn't quite feel like being there. You didn't get enough rest. So you're not able to focus. You're not getting as much out of it. You're not able to really exert yourself in worship and, and put your heart and your mind into it. You're just halfway there. See, your, your, your physical health in that case starts to impact your, your spiritual health. But because you're not spiritually healthy, you're not walking in the spiritual victory that you want to and that spills out into your family. And it might even spill out into how you work and your attitude. It spills out into other areas of your life and pretty soon you see that around your life there's all, all kinds of signs of, of lack of health that have traced back to this one area you were not physically healthy. And I just use that as one example, but you can pick any area and you can see how it affects all the other areas. So you want to take a strategic look at every area of your life and say, am I healthy? Am I being healthy? Let's go on to this third part of the algorithm. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This one's just really brief, but it's so potent. There is a time for everything and a season. Do you see that word? There is a season for every activity under the heavens. A time. What? A time to be born. And, and what is it? A, a time to die. There is a time to plant and a time to uproot. And it goes on throughout this passage and it just says there's a time for this activity and there's a time for that activity. What it's saying is there's a season for all these different things in our life. Our life has a rhythm to it. Would, would you write that word down, rhythm? You, you've got to know that part of your life algorithm. There, there's, there's a rhythm to it. There's a season to it. You've got to write down the word purpose and you've got to write down the word health. But you need to write down the word rhythm because, see, rhythm is a critical part of winning the mind games in our life. You've got to know they exist. It says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 15, whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. You've got to learn that there's a season to life. There's a season to our schedules. There's, there's time to sleep. There's a time to work. There's a time to play. And there's a part of all of those things that need to have a place in the right context within your life. My college coach said, work hard, play hard, sleep hard. It's a great mantra for life. You know, so whatever you're doing, go all out at that. That's, that's what you're doing, so do it right. You know, you have a rhythm to your life. You even have a rhythm to your week. Whether you recognize it and try to follow it or not, God created you for a rhythm. He, he actually started the rhythm himself as the creator. He created for six days and then he rested on the seventh, on the Sabbath day. There was a day of rest after all the work of, and all, all the work of creating, there was a, a time to rest and enjoy what has been created. And for you, you have the same rhythm that's been built into who you are, into your very DNA. God has created you to work six and rest one. Until you figure out that rhythm of life, you will not long-term win the mind games in your life. You'll be exhausted. You'll be burnt out. You will not be at your best. And, and I know some of you, what you're thinking right now, you're saying, Pastor Brandon, that's easy to say, but, but I have so many responsibilities in my life. How in the world can I work only six days a week? I, I have so much to do. And, and what I would say to you is it's foolish to think that you can outsmart God who created the puzzle of your life. And he says that you were created for working six and resting one. I've made you to have a purpose and to create. But on that seventh day, you're meant to increase your worship and decrease your work. You're meant to cease your striving and creating so that God can recreate his work inside of you. And if you're not resting and increasing your worship on that seventh day, then you're missing an important part of your life algorithm and you will not win the mind games of your life long-term. In fact, many of us, this is what, we do on Sundays. Sundays are our day of rest for many of us. It's, it's the day, and I, and I realize it's a different day for some of you. Thank you for those of you who, who serve in, in the armed forces, or you, you serve in, in hospitals. You, you serve in, in establishments that serve people where, where we need someone to work, or your, your firefighters or policemen. Thank you for your service. And so everyone can't rest on the same day, and God understands that. But you need to have a day of rest, and for many of us, perhaps most of us, it's Sunday. It's a, it's a day where we rest, and we begin our day with worshiping together with God's people, 
in God's house and we, we gather and we worship him with everything we've got. It's, it's such a powerful and important part of our lives. Believers have been doing it throughout history. We're commanded to do it. We know we'll be doing it in heaven. We'll be gathering together. And, and listen, I understand that many have retreated to online worship throughout the pandemic. I understand that's a, a phenomenon that's happened throughout our country but many are starting to come back into actual worship service for, for a number of reasons. They're seeing that you know online is not enough. I, I don't have that human connection. And there's something that I'm missing that I, I'm not getting out of a screen. And there's certainly a time and a place for that when you're sick and you can't be present. When you're traveling and out of town and you, and you can stay up with your church family. During a pandemic, of course, there's definitely reasons for us to be thankful for the technology. But I want to challenge you to get back into God's house with God's people and to gather and actually worship together because God will do something special when you gather together, when you rest from your work and you say, this day is a day of rest. And I'm going to begin that day of rest by increasing my worship. I'm going to be Begin one week and end another week. I'm going to mark that turning point, that rhythm, through increasing my worship for God. I'm setting aside that time. I'm not letting my busyness crowded out. I'm not letting my responsibilities crowded out. I am making it a priority in my schedule and in my life. I'm going to worship with God's people. It's, it's part of the rhythms of our life. You know, rhythms, really, whatever they are, whether it's a workout rhythm, whether it's a rhythm to your schedule, whether it's a rhythm to put the kids to bed on a certain time or to wake up at a certain time or the time that you're going to do your, your devotions with the Lord and pray, there's a rhythm to it. And once you figure out that rhythm, it's, it's like solving a puzzle. And you're like, man, it just works so much better now that I have my rhythm. So, so here's the question I want to I leave you with on this third category. Are my rhythms right? Are my rhythms right? And you might have to do some dissecting of your schedule and of your life this week to figure that out. You know, an exercise that I've done a number of times is, is to simply uh, track my time throughout the week. And where is my time going? And once I see where my time is going, I've analyzed it, then I can prioritize it. You're analyzing and prioritizing. Where did my time go and where should it go? Once you know your purpose and you've lined up the roles in your life, you can then match up your time and invest your time in what your greatest priorities are. One quote I'll leave you with before we move on to this final part of the algorithm is, people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits. And their habits decide their future. So if you want to see what your future is going to look like, you want to get a glimpse of what it could look like, well, take a look at your current habits. Your habits have such an impact on the outcomes of your life. So are your habits healthy? Are your habits on purpose? Are your habits in rhythm with the way that God has created you? Well, there's this thing now called speed cubing, which probably was far beyond the imagination of the original creator of the, of the cube, uh, the Rubik's Cube. In fact, the the Rubik's Cube itself was created in 1976 by a Hungarian, Hungarian architect. His name was Erno Rubik's, of course, where we get the name from. And, and eight years after he created the cube, which, as you may have heard already, is, took him about a month to solve his first time. But this, this Rubik's Cube, uh, once it was created eight years later, a competition formed that they called Speed Cubing where people would get together and they'd try to solve the cube as fast as they could with the least amount of turns that they could. And out of that, at that time when it first started, people could solve the cube in its various mixed up uh, configurations. They could solve it, the fastest ones, in about a minute. Well, as everything goes, there's a whole sport that's formed around it and there's a lot of people that do it. And, and now if you take the 100 fastest speed cubers, and it's, it's kind of amazing to me that there's even a list of 100 fastest speed cubers out there. But the 100 fastest speed cubers on average can solve a mixed up cube in about 7.7 seconds on average or less. It's, am it's amazing. The world record's somewhere around three and a half seconds. Some people believe that it actually could be solved in about two and a half seconds because the fastest speed cubers can, can solve the, the cube with a, with a rate of just shy of 10 turns per second. It's amazing. Well, when the cube was created, a, a mystery was also created. The mystery that was created was what is the least amount of turns possible to solve the Rubik's Cube? And, and, and there's, a, there's a number, whatever that number is, because out of all the millions, literally, if you, if you research this, is far beyond millions of different ways that the cube could be mixed up. 
But of all the different variations and different ways that the cube could be set at the beginning when you find it, there's a single number, whatever that number is, and that number, that amount of turns, every configuration can be solved in that amount of turns, whatever that number is. And, and those who are cubers, they actually have given a name to that number. They call it God's number. God's number. It's true. That you look it up. They, they call it God's number. And, and the reason for that is that God does everything perfectly. So if someone could solve the cube perfectly, if they could pick it up in any configuration, what's the least amount of moves it would take them? What's the, what's the number? What's God's number? And no one could figure it out because there's literally millions of different ways that the cube could be set up from the beginning. There's, it's just almost impossible to figure out. And people struggled with this question for so long until in 2010, some computer programmers, some scientists got together and they, they asked Google, because one of them worked at Google, can we use your computers to solve this problem to find out God's number with a Rubik's Cube? So they got together and, and the power of Google's computers took what otherwise would be an almost impossible task. They cut off significant time and those computers were able to solve this question in a matter of weeks. And they ran these computers and they ran all the configurations and they, they were able to find out the, the, the number, the number that you could turn the cube, the amount of times and solve every different configuration was 20. Most configurations could be solved far less, but if, if you turned it 20 times in the right way, you could solve any configuration with just 20 turns. So technically, if you could turn it 10 times in a second, you could probably solve it in about two seconds flat. So it's, it's amazing, but they were, what they were saying is, what's the, what's the least amount of turns? If, if I want to be as sufficient as possible, and, and for this fourth part of the algorithm of your life, I want to ask you that same question. If you could break it down, what is the most core, most important part of your life and what you do? And, and Jesus, as some of you know, was asked that question in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, he responds to that question. What's the greatest command? If you break it down, what's, what's the least amount of things that you need to know? Like, what is the main thing? And this is how he responds in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. He says, the most important one, the most important command, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He says, there's one thing that's more important than every other thing. Love the Lord your God, and then and then love him with everything you got. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he says it comes down to love. But I, I noticed how Jesus described it. Did you catch those words? He says there's the first. And then, and then, he, and then he prioritized there's a second thing. He put them in order. See, he prioritized it. And that's the fourth word in your algorithm. It's order. It's order. You, you, have, you have priority. You have you have health, you have rhythm, you've got to figure all those things out, absolutely. But you will never win all the mind games of your life until you understand order. To have peace of mind, you, you have to solve this. What's, what's the order? What's most important in my life? And so I'm going to leave you with that question today. And the question is, who or what is first in my life? What is first? If you strip everything else away, what is most important? Because you can have all your purposes laid out. You can know the rhythms of your life and you can make all those things healthy. But if they're out of order and Jesus is not first in your life, things will never be in order in your mind. And the reason why you'll never have mental order, where you'll never have mental lasting peace, why you'll never be able to, to experience the victory over every mind game if Jesus is not first, the singular reason why you'll never be able to have order in your mind in life is because Jesus actually is first. God actually is first. In creation, he is highest. He's the name above every name. He's the God over everything. He's our creator. And if he's not first in your life, then that means in your mind and in your life, you are out of order. You are disordered. It's not until you put things in the right order that you experience victory in the mind games of your life. So absolutely, you have to discover your purpose in God. You, you have to figure out how to be healthy in the various roles and responsibilities in your life. 
You, you absolutely have to figure out the rhythms of your life and your schedule and your times and when you wake and when you sleep and when you work and when you play. You've got to figure out all those things. But until you figure out order, the great differentiator in life, you will never experience a lasting mental peace until he is first in your life. So Jesus, Jesus is first and he needs to be first in my life. And so, so, so what's first in your life? Or who is first in your life? What needs to be reprioritized, rearranged? Well, God, I'll fit you in when I can. God, I'll, I'll, I'll worship when it works out. I'll, I'll, I'll get into your word and read it when I, when I have a moment. Or is he first? Is he the non-negotiable in your life? And, and when he becomes first in your life, you'll see that everything else starts to line up in time with his wisdom and with his health. Well, my hope today is that you found some practical wisdom on how to figure out the algorithm of your life and win the mind games. I hope you figured out some things with your purpose and with your health and with your rhythms, but most of all, with your order. And that you put things in your life in the right order and you put him first. Right on. Hey, Father, we thank you so much for the wisdom that you give us through your word. We thank you, Lord, for the purpose that you give us. We thank you that you help us to be healthy and prioritize that in our life. God, we thank you for the rhythms that you've created in nature and the seasons, the times, the rhythms you've created even inside of us. Help us to honor those. Be wise in how we approach those. But Father, most of all, I ask today that you'd help us to bring order to our life with your help. May we, may we put you first, God. May we value the relationships in our life. You tell us, secondly, to love our neighbor, love others. And so may we, may we love those in our own homes. May we love those that we work with and are close to. May we love strangers. May we, may we care for others like you care for people, God, because you are a God of love. May things come in order in our minds so that we can have mental peace and joy and most of all, experience your love. Jesus, it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today at Church Experience. We would love to hear what you thought about today's service. Head over to churchexperience.tv connect. Let us know what you thought. Leave your questions, your comments, your prayer requests. We would love to get back to you and we would love to be praying for you. We hope to see each and every one of you back here next week, but until then, we'll see you.